Do you struggle with what it means to be successful in your retirement? Trust us, you're not alone. Welcome to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Here, you'll go in-depth with Guidance Point Advisors Investment Consultants to hear stories about how retirees in Maine are navigating a successful retirement. Get insight into the inevitable challenges of aging and define what a successful retirement looks like. Welcome, everybody, to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. My name is Ben Smith, and allow me to introduce my co-host, the Uber to my Lyft, Curtis Wister. How are you doing today, Curtis? I'm doing well, Ben. Doing well. Awesome. Well, uh, we are on episode 72, I think, at this point. Yep. So depending on what year you're in, you might be required minimum distribution age if you're reaching age 72. This is true. As of 2022 rules anyway. So, right, we're currently in 22, 2022. And, you know, many retirees, of course, are looking at their investment accounts. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, we're shooting here in mid-September. We just had some bad inflation numbers that came out and had a big drop in the in the stock market. So, you know, I think we've been talking to our clients and some are seeing some results that might be a little disappointing, especially if you just recently retired. Sure. And I, and I know that our conversations with our clients too about what can we live on, right? Is, you know, if we retired in 2021, it might be a different number than might we might be coming up with in 2022. Mm-hmm. And that happens often, by the way, right? Is every year to year, we adjust kind of where we are and to what's happening. But you also right now could be considering retiring from your current job. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're just sick of working for quote unquote, the man, <laughs> But maybe you're not sure if you can afford to cold turkey retire. So we've had a lot of guests and clients in the past say to us, you know, I love being busy. I have a lot to offer. You know, why don't I get paid to do the things that I like to do, maybe that are outside of my current profession and my current uh, kind of work? Mm -hmm. So we have discussions about, hey, Maybe if I don't cold turkey retire, I could do some part-time work. I do do some consulting. I could do maybe a side hustle that maybe gives a come up as a way to make some money, but also retiring from our full-time career. Mm-hmm. So when we were kind of doing the search on the interwebs, you know, we've came across an article at Zapier that said 40% of Americans currently have a side hustle in 2022 up from 34% in December 2020. Yeah. So this whole idea of concept, you know, we hear gig economy, you hear kind of people doing kind of monetizing a little bit of their time or hobbies or passions. It's definitely getting popular. Mm-hmm. But what do we need to know about side hustles and getting the right side hustle for me? Yeah. And if I'm you out there in the audience, that's what I'm wondering. <laughs> So that's what this episode is about. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we like to bring in guests, Ben. And so we had to go out and find a side hustle expert. So our next guest, uh, his entrepreneurial journey began at an early age. He was selling candy to his fellow Boy Scouts at summer camp and eventually started painting houses in college at the University of Washington. Um, After graduation, though, he started side hustling in earnest. Uh, Some small-scale experiments in online advertising soon turned into a full-fledged comparison shopping site for footwear, which uh, earned commission from Zappos, Amazon, and other online shoe sellers. Uh, Three years of nights and weekends later, he left his corporate gig to become a full-time entrepreneur. 
So it was during this time that his obsession with different business models and creative ways to, to make extra money really began. In 2013, he started Side Hustle Nation, and the Side Hustle Nation or Side Hustle Show podcast began uh, spreading the gospel of his lower risk brand of entrepreneurship. Through the blog and podcast, he's helped thousands of readers and listeners earn more money and start businesses of their own. So his site is read by 2.2 million visitors a year, and 30,000 listeners tune into the Side Hustle Show each week, which uh, that is just incredible mm. metrics there. Um, so today's guest uh, currently lives in Sammamish, Washington, with his lovely wife, two sons, and Mochi, the Side Hustle Shih Tzu. So with that, please welcome Nick Loper to the Retirement Success in Maine podcast. Nick, thank you so much for coming on our show today. You bet. Curtis, Dan, thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we're really excited to talk to you, Nick. And I, I know just kind of, uh, observing your kind of, uh, the media presence you've built online and, and kind of the, the financial nerd piece, which we, again, happy to kind of be in your uh, <laughs> presence there from that end is be able to geek out on money and kind of talking kind of some, some finance pieces. So we, we will have a lot to dig into about all of this side hustle stuff and mm. finding a side hustle retirement. But we always want to get to know you a little bit more, Nick, and about your expertise. So lo- so obviously we read your bio, hearing that you caught the entrepreneurial bug early selling candy to fellow Boy Scouts and painting houses in college. Has entrepreneurship kind of come to naturally or have you developed these skills over over time? I would say definitely it's been an evolution and a learning curve and a learning process because you kind of figure out all of the things that you don't know. Actually, a friend of mine, uh, Brian Harris, I think he's got this video. You probably find it on YouTube and it's about, you know, figuring it out. And it's like, that's your sole job as the entrepreneur is like, you're going to run into the hurdle and the challenge and the next step and you're going to bump into the ceiling. And he's like, what's your job? Figure it out. That's right. And that's kind of been the, um, you know, maybe an overlooked skill in trying to run different businesses is this problem solving aspect of like, well, I don't know how to do that. Never done that before, but I'm gonna have to figure it out. I love that. I love that. Um, so kind of keep going on your, your kind of background here. Obviously I read this off. So can you just talk about kind of what led you to, to really leave that safety of a corporate job and how you worked to, to really become a full-time entrepreneur? That was still a challenge to say, like, you know, to have the confidence to say, can I really cut my own paycheck? Like, is that yeah. allowed? Like, yeah. I, you know, it was pretty recently out of school. So it was just three years post graduation. Like, could I, could I do this? Like, and, and that's kind of what I recommend to other people who are looking to make that similar leap is like, well, do you have a track record of revenue from your business? And maybe, you know, revenue is not profit. Do you have a track record of profit from mm-hmm. your business that is going to at least cover your expenses? And that's what I had. I think, you know, my goal was to have a trailing six or 12 months of, of, uh, of proof to say like, Oh, okay. If the day job went away, like we wouldn't be dipping into savings. We wouldn't be racking up debt. You know, it was, it was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And given an extra 40, 50 hours a week to dedicate to it, like, okay, if I had more time to grow this thing, I think it could get to that salary replacement level and beyond. Mm-hmm. And, and Nick, what a scary thing there is too, is I, cause I, again, I, I used to work in, uh, uh, for banks and the community banks and wealth management and to kind of join a group that was starting their own investment firm. I hear you, what you're saying there is it's a scary proposition of saying, Hey, I don't have the safety of this very, an entity kind of taking care of me if something's not working out. So I, I 
kind of hear what you said about, hey, building this up over time to make sure it was there instead of just a, a light switch and just, well, hopefully it works out. So I, I hear that's, that's, a, that's, that's my side of the spectrum. There's, there's other people you've maybe heard, like the Reed Hoffman quote, he's like the founder of LinkedIn, like, oh, uh, an entrepreneur is somebody who jumps off the cliff and figures out how to build the plane or, you know, build the parachute on the way down. It's like, that works for some people. That's like the burn the ships mentality. Like, oh, you know, my back's against the wall. I'll figure something out. Like, ah, that sounds super stressful for That's me. Super yeah. scary. <laughs> super scary. So, so Nick, I want to ask too, I guess along that journey uh, to becoming a full-time entrepreneur, right? How many of your businesses just didn't work, right? Whether it was you, you know, working for you personally or the business itself didn't pan out, I guess, until you found the right one for you. Gosh, I've had lots of flops along the way that kind of died a, a quiet death in some, you know, unknown <laughs> corner of the internet. Early on, I was trying to do some like pay-per-click consulting, but didn't have the skills really to go out and prospect that or get any inbound leads. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate in that the shoe business was like, you know, the first thing that I really, really went after in earnest and that ended up working out. But since then, like I tried to spin off a, uh, a handbag and luggage site because a lot of the same advertisers that I was working with in footwear, like sure. also sold that stuff. But that, you know, it was a lower commission rate and just like a broader, um, you know, product thing, like, and all the yeah. different, it was really tough to build for a lot of reasons. Uh, I tried to spin off like a sandal site, like to get even more niche. <laughs> and it was just <laughs> like, well, this is seasonal, this is like lower <laughs> price point product. It didn't work for a lot of reasons, like duplicated a lot of the work. I tried to make a uh, a wine site, which I had no business doing. Like, I don't care about wine other than occasionally like to drink it. Yeah. Uh, so the site had no, like, no unique perspective, no really reason to exist. But the funny thing is, like, one of the, you know, you, you learn something from all these failures, right? Sure. And on the research side for that wine site, I came across this site that was, like, reviewing different wine clubs, like these monthly memberships where they send you a couple bottles of wine. And they had like user, user reviews and, you know, they would rank these ones. And, you know, cause I was on the affiliate side, I was like, Oh, this is really interesting. Probably like, cause they're getting like lead generation commissions mm-hmm. for referring new visit, new users, new members to these wine clubs. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is really kind of a cool model. Like what other, you know, industry could I, you know, rip that off and pivot that to, to something else. Sure. And I came up with uh, this site called virtual assistant assistant.com, which I sold two years ago, but ran it for you know, started in 2011, ran it for nine years. It was like Yelp for outsourcing companies or directory and review platform for outsourcing companies based out of like that one little like nugget of wine related research that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Where can I spin this off to? And that ended up, uh, you know, being very slow, always very much a side hustle, but uh, including the proceeds from the sale ended up being over a half a million dollar side hustle. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and I know, obviously, Nick, you have Side Hustle Nation as well, right? And that's been recognized by Plutus Foundation as a two-time winner of the best entrepreneurship blog. So I got because I got to do side, side hustles and entrepreneurship are kind of going hand in hand here. Can you talk a little bit about how you built your blog and podcast into the success it is today? Yeah, I love geeking out on all of this stuff. Um, so thought of myself first and foremost as a, as a writer, like I'm going to, I'm going to blog. People are going to read my stuff because I'm just like such an interesting person. What ended up taking off way faster was the podcast. Like people, people don't care about me, but let me hear you point the mic at somebody else, ask them mm-hmm. the zero to one questions. Like, how'd you come up with that idea? How'd you get your first customers? How, you know, what else did you do to grow this thing? What mistakes did you make along the way? 
the the podcast is really what the site became known for. And then in later years, finally figured out uh, by by paying attention to what was working for other people, like, oh, there's this uh, thing called SEO and, you know, you can optimize your, your post for Google and all of this stuff that ended up being a, a significant portion of the business today. But, you know, it took a while to really learn that and blow that up. But the podcast, first and foremost, was built on what I call climbing the listener pyramid. And you guys are on episode 72. So you know about this as well. It's like going from strangers to listeners to subscribers to fans Mm -hmm. and like every piece of content that I create, like trying to ascend people on that ladder. You know, unfortunately, the biggest piece of the pyramid is this stranger segment. People who don't know you exist. It's trying to solve that awareness problem and come up with compelling episode hooks. So they are going to go through the pain of like, well, I got to find my podcast app and then I got to find your show and then I got to find the specific episode that you're talking about and then I got to invest the 45 minutes into listening to this yeah it's got to be really compelling and trying to do that um very slow in the early days but within probably you know I I was seeing just enough traction it's like okay this is something that I enjoy doing and this is something I think has uh has some legs to be a, a business later on that's great great we're taking notes here because side yeah side hustle here for us we're going to try to get to thirty thousand listeners a week as well right yes uh, exactly <laughs> so so nick obviously uh we want to talk about uh kind of finding side hustles in retirement here for our listenership so i think as we dive into this topic of side hustles uh, i think it might be helpful just to define a couple things so can you just talk about what technically a side hustle is and where did the rise of side hustle economy come from yeah, you bet. So side hustle, broadly speaking, anything that you're doing to earn extra money outside of a day job, it, it has a little bit of an entrepreneurial connotation outside of just getting a second job or moonlighting mm-hmm. that, um, you know, delivering pizzas or bartending doesn't necessarily come with. There's like this, there's, there's connotation of like some upside potential with the side hustle, like this entrepreneurial optimism that I think, you know, kind of gets lumped in with it, sure. which, which I like. But broadly speaking, I mean, you know, driving for DoorDash, like, you know, delivering for Instacart, like all that stuff could still qualify as a side hustle. But it's like, okay, recognize there's a limited, uh, probably a limited earning ceiling on some of that. Sure. And then the rise of side hustle, really interesting phenomenon. I was looking at like the Google trends over the last, you know, five years, and it's definitely uh, an up and to the right chart. And I certainly didn't invent the term. I think we're seeing it from two angles, one out of necessity, like I need to make extra money to make mm-hmm. ends meet as yep. we're dealing, um, like you mentioned, the inflationary uh, economy, but just like even prior to that, like housing, healthcare, education, like some of the big ticket expenses in our lives have just gone up, uh, not not really commensurate with increase in real wages, uh, mm-hmm. inflation adjusted. So it's like, okay, well, I I got to do something to make to uh, make ends meet. And then the other side is, um, and largely in part, you know, due to social media, we kind of see what is out there. We get, it's very, you know, there's lots of <laughs> data to suggest this is kind of like damaging to our psyches, but we see everybody else's highlight reel yeah. and we compare it to our, you know, every day on social media. And so we see the possibilities of what other people are doing. We say, Hey, I could do something like that too. I could build yeah. an online business. I could go get some of this extra entrepreneurial income. So we see more and more people uh, tackling it from both the reactive side and the proactive side. Like, look, no, this is something that I get to do that I want to do because, because it's out there. Mm-hmm. 
and, and Nick, I know, uh, again, from a lot of our clients and our audiences, again, they, they might be approaching retirement and they're kind of thinking about what am I going to do with my time, right? As part of this. And they go, Hey, I like to do things and I like to be busy and I want to have a purpose, right? Is I want to have something that I feel like I can, I can get some energy from and I can get uh, some satisfaction on. And I, I think that's where, you know, we, we kind of talk about this of like, well, talking about the concept of side hustle, but a lot of people don't know where to start. Can you talk a little bit about maybe what are some of the most popular side hustles today, especially for those that are near or in retirement? Yeah. So I think almost all side hustlers are going to fall under one of three categories, selling Mm -hmm. a service, selling a product, or an audience-based business, kind of an attention-based business, you know, and you know, the big, you know, Google and Facebook would fall under that. Like, Hey, we built a tool. We built this yeah. platform. We're in the attention economy, but selling a product, selling a service kind of where a lot of people start, especially on the service side. And you mentioned consulting, freelancing, um, you know, babysitting, dog watching, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like, you know, in that realm, super low barrier to entry, you know, very low startup costs. And you can kind of go out and try and find customers on that front. On the product side, this could be as simple as decluttering your garage. It could be doing consignment sales for your neighborhood. It could be all the way up to, you know, we have people importing products from China and selling them on Amazon. So, so it goes, it goes deep, but the common thread in really all three of those business models is, you know, starting with a pain. So if you're looking for a business idea and it's, it's funny. I actually, I actually talked to somebody because I, I was going to say, you very rarely do I talk to somebody and they're like, well, I was looking for side hustle ideas. I found your post. I scrolled down and, you know, there's a hundred on the page. You know, it was like number 37 on the list. And I was like, that's the one. But I actually <laughs> talked to somebody the other day who's like, I was looking for side hustle ideas. I found your post. And one of the ideas was, you know, cleaning up trash from a parking lot, starting a litter sweeping business. And I said, Sure, I could do that. And so he went to town and was doing that in uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and he was wow. doing really well with that. But in most cases, starts with the the pains, the problems, and for that. And the reason I say that, I think it's easier to sell pain pills than it is to sell vitamins. And I look at my own spending. Like, what am I spending money on to make pains and annoyances go away? Mm-hmm. And the exercise that I'll, I'll do or recommend people go through is just kind of like the "what sucks" exercise. I call it. Mm-hmm. It's like it's just a notes app on your phone. Everything that you find yourself complaining about, everything that your spouse is complaining about, everything that your neighbors and friends and family like are just kind of moaning about on the other side of those pains and annoyances, there might be some business solution to go out and solve that for other people. And that's kind of where I recommend people start the, the brainstorming process. That's great. And, and you're, you're leading right into my next question here, which is great. So I know certainly from our end, right? People kind of come to us interested in finding a side hustle or, or being that retirement entrepreneur, but they kind of freeze up because there's just so much out there, right? There's so many options they could do. It essentially gets overwhelming. So I know you just brought up kind of the first part of my question is you do that what sucks list, which I love, and I'm going to keep that um, because that's fantastic. But is can you either, I guess, elaborate a little more on that? Are there other ways, I guess, what are some aside from that, that people can exercises that people can do to really hone in on what they think they, they want to do. It is a challenge. And you've probably seen the, the Venn diagram of like, you know, your skills, your hobbies and like what people will pay you for. Mm. Like there's like this, you know, unicorn hypothetical magical <laughs> sweet spot in the middle. And it's like, well, what if my hobbies are over here and the stuff I've been paid to do are over here. And it's like, there's, 
there's no overlap. Yeah. And so it can be really challenging to <laughs> figure out what that, what that intersection is. It's, uh, there is no perfect business idea. The business idea that you feel comfortable with, you know, taking that very first step is the one that I would encourage you to go do and adopt that experimenter's mindset of saying, I'm going to give it a shot. If it blows up in my face, like that's okay. It's the same as the test tube in the lab doing the same thing. The scientist doesn't think it's a failure. They just say, okay, hypothesis, <laughs> no, or whatever, disproved, and we'll go on to the next one. So it is, it's definitely a challenge. But if you can find some sort of alignment or, or intersection between your existing network and maybe like your network's network, like who, who do you know or what types of people do you know? And who do they know? Like where, where might you be able to get a foot in the door or a toe in the door in some industry? And how does that align with your past, you know, career expertise or hobbies? I think that might be a place to, to start because it can be kind of a needle in the haystack with all the options that are out there. So Nick, I, I want to kind of maybe expand on that a little bit, right? Is because I think what, what I, what I'm hearing you saying is, Hey, if say, say I really love to cook, right. And you know, I want to, I want to do like part-time meal prep for people that can't do, you know, meal prep on their own, right. Or yeah. they're housebound or I can deliver maybe homemade meals, but you know, I'm really not uh, set up, nor do I know how to cook meals for like 200 families a day. Right. Is I, I'm used to baking for my family and not for 200 people. So maybe is, and what I'm kind of hearing you say as an example is, Hey, if I went to kind of be a barbecue person and maybe I go to like the local barbecue haunt and I get a job like as a line cook just to kind of see the operations and how they prep things and how they really do things on, you know, as a, as a kind of a way to learn skills. Until I'm then ready to do my own thing. Is that kind of the idea there of trying to, I, I have the core concept, but I don't really know how to bridge it, get some skills somewhere else, and then maybe kind of develop? Yeah, and that's a low risk way to do it. That's a way to, I mean, essentially get paid to learn, which is a cool way to do it, or mm -hmm. see if you could shadow somebody who's, you know, got the commercial kitchen you know, rent it out for their other project. You say, you know, can I watch your process? I'm just I'm not going to steal your idea. I just kind of want to mm -hmm. look over the shoulder as you're, you know, batch prepping all those things. But that's the thing. You don't really want to, you know, commit to that commercial kitchen lease <laughs> until you have the customers to justify it. Right. And so our, you know, actually a friend of ours does, um, custom, custom cookies out of her, oh, yeah. uh, you know, cottage. She's got a cottage kitchen license in California and she's like limited to how much she can sell each year, which kind of like puts a natural cap on her capacity. But, you know, it's all been marketed through word of mouth and social media. And she does, she does well with that. But it wasn't like she went out and spent a ton of money up front before she kind of validated the demand. And, and again, those are the things, the ideas is, is kind of sometimes a success breeds success, right? It's like all of a sudden it's like, hey, two people talk about it and you get a website and they share it and, all of a sudden, it uh, kind of goes on itself. But I want to want to ask a question about again from kind of pain point from a lot of our clients and audience that we hear about is hey they they've been working for their whole lives maybe since they've been fourteen fifteen sixteen years old yeah and they're they're kind of at the kind of end of their professional careers a little bit and burnout's such a big thing. So when I when I hear side hustle. You know, the one of the words that I could hear them kind of cringe at is hustle. Like, you know, I've been hustling for 40 years. I'm kind of done with the, the hustle part. Yeah. So 
what what would you find about again i i think hustle's a thing that that might be negatively connotated to this group but what about the side how how do you kind of find ways that from an entrepreneur i know you talked about pain points and things that we could do what about finding the thing that you're passionate about that can energize us and get us excited about monetizing our skills and time how do we find that thing that's like we're super excited about how how do you how do you coach people to that Right. Setting up and setting up the business in such a way that it doesn't become a grind. Yes. <laughs> it's like, that's not what you need in retirement. That's not what they want. And it comes to my, like both my dad and my father-in-law set up their, you know, semi-retired gigs as consultants. And they say, well, this is my day rate. Take it or leave it. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't need to be here, but I still like to be in the game in a little, in a mm-hmm. little way. And so that was kind of what, what worked for them. And, you know, based on, you're not proactively marketing this. It's just even based on their, you know, 30 years of work history colleagues saying, Hey, uh, what do you think about this project? <laughs> it's like happy to, happy to answer that. What I have found. So to, to go back to the passion question mm-hmm. is at least for me, it's kind of a stressful question. You know, what are you, what are you passionate about? Like, I don't know. Like I'm interested in a lot of different things. And so what we found, and there's some research from Dan Pink and I want to say Cal Newport to kind of back this up is that passion often follows doing the work. And I'll give you the example of painting houses in college. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't passionate about painting houses, <laughs> but over the course of a couple summers, you kind of get into the groove of it and you can't help but walk through the neighborhood and look up under people's eaves and say, Oh, I just scrape that. You know, I got to come back and give these guys an estimate on the weekend. You kind of, you develop the passion through, through practice. And same thing with podcasting. Like Mm -hmm. at at episode one, I had no idea what I was doing, but over the course of now nine and a half years, it has become part of my identity has become like something that I'm really into. And so it's more like picking something that you're curious about, that you're interested in. And then, you know, <laughs> over the course of, you know, putting in the reps, do you find yourself more or less interested in it? Does mm-hmm. the pass, did the passion come or did the interest kind of uh, fade away? Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a really good way of looking at that. I, I want to kind of keep going here. And obviously there's kind of two, well, there's probably, there's probably two sides and a lot of gray area, but for the sake of this question, I think there's successful side hustles or people who find success in their side hustles and people who don't. So in terms of kind of looking at that, those failures, or I guess looking at both sides of it, from your perspective, what is it that kind of makes either the success or the failure? Is it the person? Is it the idea? Is it the execution? Is it all of the above? Is it something else? Kind of what do you, what do you have there on just kind of what makes things work or what makes things not work? One of the big things that separates the, you know, of the 500 guests on the show and the people who are kind of like perpetually looking for the next idea, sitting on the sidelines was this bias toward action or this willingness to test something out. Like I'm going to take step one, even if I don't know steps two through 10, that's kind of the first thing that, um, that comes to mind there. And it's just, you know, the hustle, you know, the word it has got a negative connotation, but it's <laughs> to me, it's a controlling what you can control. And it comes mm-hmm. from an old baseball coach of mine. He's like, look, you're going to have bad days at the plate. You're going to have bad days in the field. It happens, but hustle never slumps, right? Control what you can control. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that stands out. It's definitely separating the people who are kind of like, ah, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm still waiting for that perfect idea, that lightning bolt of inspiration to strike yeah. versus the people who are like, I don't know. I'm going to take a swing at this. And I actually came across a really interesting article. We just recorded an episode on this. So Nathan Berry is the founder of ConvertKit. It's a, a email marketing software for creators. 
And he wrote this post called The Ladders of Wealth Creation, where it starts ladder one, you know, a job, trading time for money, hourly mm-hmm. or salaried. You know, step ladder number two is this, you know, selling, selling some type of service business, freelancing, consulting, even, you know, building up to an agency where you got you're managing team members and they're doing the work and you're taking a percentage. The third ladder was a productized service where it's still a service based business, but you're selling it as if it were a product. And so you got to learn, you know, copywriting and web design and inbound, you know, marketing and all this stuff. And then the final ladder, the fourth ladder was selling products, digital products, physical products, marketplaces, platforms, you know, and it was like with every step of the ladder, there's different skills that you got to learn to kind of make that leap skills being the bridge between those ladders. And so we've seen this kind of throughout the archives. It's, it's a pretty common path that people tend to to graduate and work towards. And so to go back, like, well, why do some side hustles fail? It's like you may have been trying to climb a ladder that you didn't have the skills to climb yet. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that was something that was a relatively new idea to me. It's like it could be a it could be a great idea. It could be a really cool business model. But if you haven't, you know, put in the the uh, you know <laughs> internal skills work to uh, kind of allow yourself to build it, then it may still not get anywhere. I, I really like that, and that's something where yeah, I could see where from our audience and again client perspective is there. There might be something that again from that ladder, and maybe I, I I'm really interested in the side hustle, and I really don't. I have zero clue at what I'm doing, right? And there's going to be bound to be mistakes and issues in anything I'm I'm kind of working towards. So I want to ask the question of. There's there's also a risk of being so optimistic and uh, just I as you said when you opened up I will figure it out is kind of the entrepreneurial skill, but what are some of the common mistakes or misconceptions around building a side hustle that a lot of entrepreneurs fall into? What what, what are things that you just kind of see over and over, especially in your in your podcasts and the conversations that come up of like I never knew I was going to have to run into that. And it seems like a lot of people just get temporarily blocked by it, or that's something that was maybe a struggle to overcome. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm totally with you. The, <laughs> there's, I mean, we probably probably do a whole episode or a whole book on the, right. the mistakes. Um, you know, first one we kind of talked about, like waiting for that perfect business idea to strike. Okay, yeah. we'll scratch that off the list. One mistake that I see a lot of people making is, you know, making big upfront investments in logos and websites and um you know, business cards and you know talk to one guy who's like well my my website is almost done you know it's been 9 months and 30 grand in development but it's almost done and i want to be like 30 grand <laughs> do you have any customers <laughs> right oh, you know you could throw something together on you know squarespace or something for 10 bucks like you know test this out like there's there's a bootstrap way or there's a low risk way to do almost anything that you want to do. Like instead of buying that delivery van, could you lease it for the weekend? See if there's any demand like to make an Ikea run or something. I don't know. So that's one thing that, that definitely stresses me out is like, you know, investing too much upfront, you know, without any, you know, validation in terms of real dollars. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not sure there's others that will come to mind as we, as we go through this too. So I, I guess along those lines, right? And I know now I'm asking another question about failing uh, side hustles here. So I guess I'm the Debbie Downer of the of the conversation today. But so obviously we've talked about the good side, right? The ones that work. Um, what about the dark side of side hustles, right? I know you just gave us an example of a mistake maybe people make, but like I'm sure there's, you know, in that grind of you just can't get one to stick or what, like can you just kind of talk about the, the process and the, I guess, what can go wrong? Went side hustling. 
Yeah, I think the biggest downside is is you kind of have worked yourself into a job that you hate. And in retirement, that's not how you really want to be spending your retirement years. And so, and maybe you have the freedom to say, I don't need this. I don't need to be here. I'm, you know, one bad meeting away and I could just pull the plug and and take a pause on it for younger, uh, younger workers. It's like, well, I kind of need the income, but I kind (laughs) of built myself into this trap. So trying to be intentional from the get go. And it's almost a little bit of a mindset shift where I'm going to start a dog walking company versus I'm going to walk dogs. I'm going to start a window washing company versus I'm going to go wash windows. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a mindset shift maybe early on can set you up to sell the result instead of selling your skills and expertise. But there's definitely a, a dark side. And there's been, there was an article in the New York Times, an op-ed piece called like the con of the side hustle where they, you know, they didn't reach out for comment, but they quoted <laughs> something from the website. It's like, all right, you know, any press is good press. But well, it, it was about, you know, the, the glamorization of the necessity of working two jobs where it's like, we're, we're dealing with some economic and financial realities for a lot of people that necessitate, you know, working more than an eight hour shift. And mm. it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, that's not a great place to be, but at a certain point, yeah. So that was, that was kind of the, the con of it is like, if you're doing it out of necessity, if you're grinding away for a low hourly rate, yeah. uh, that's, I, I could see why that would be a, definitely a negative connotation of that. And especially the brands that are out there to like, you know, really you know glamorize it, get your side hustle on. It's like, uh, you know, maybe you got to build something with a little more leverage into it. Yeah. Nick, and I, I think you, you kind of made some points there of, of the question I was going to bring up to you was, you know, cause a, a lot of the people that, you know, they, they've, they're retiring or they've retired is now they've, they've exchanged to this kind of freedom of time, right? As they now have control over their entire calendar, maybe for the first time in their whole lives, right? Is this, you know, they now have six Saturdays and a Sunday where before it was, well, you know, Give, they give somebody else the Monday through Friday and they have their Saturday and Sunday before they have to give the five yeah. sevens back. So I, I know that's been a resistance of our clients when we talk about this is this, they don't want to start a job or a side hustle because what they do by saying that is they give up, they give back that control mm-hmm. of their time to something or something else or somebody. So I know what you just said about maybe the company versus the personal service is a way to kind of retain some control over it of get some income, but maybe not have you having to do all of it and maybe just kind of you're using a different skill set. Are there other ways or things to think about building a side hustle that's successful, but can also help retain this sense of control for this population? Yeah, I think a lot about a lot about that because I mean, if you got six Saturdays and a Sunday, you you kind of won the game, right? Like that's <laughs> that's my to, thought. To have, yeah. to have control mm-hmm. over your own calendar, like that's that's it. I mean, you 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 did you did good. Mm-hmm. Um, but thinking about the side hustles and the business models that you know you're going into for the right reasons you you want something that you can you know work on and make an impact for and you know practice your craft and all that but build it in such a way that it has some some leverage and I think about the passive income there's like a list of passive income ideas on side hustle nation it really dives into four different types right there's like the traditional type that i'm sure you and your clients are all familiar with it's like buying cash flowing assets or buying appreciative assets that can spin off cash in retirement dividend stocks and real estate and all that stuff but there's also like building assets which is kind of the the ball game that i have played in 
with websites and so where it's very, very much leveraged where I'm not getting paid at all to write this blog post, but hopefully over the course of months and years, it can stick on the first page of Google and drive traffic and drive revenue and drive email signups for months or years down the road. Mm-hmm. There's also, you know, the, um, you know, sharing or renting of assets that you already have. There's some interesting, I mean, everybody knows Airbnb, rent out your spare bedroom. I mean, yeah. In California, it was crazy. We saw people like renting out tents in their backyard. It was nuts. <laughs> But even uh, like neighbor.com is Airbnb for storage. Like, oh, we've got a RV parking thing on the side of our house we never use. Like, oh, maybe somebody would pay to store their thing there. So it's kind of like leveraging these assets that you already have uh, would be number three. And then the fourth uh, flavor of passive income is what I call reverse passive income. And this is intentionally and strategically reducing your ongoing expenses. Like, okay, how can I save a little bit of cash here to minimize what I need mm-hmm. to make on the other side? Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a fun <laughs> a fun game. I'm trying to build that leverage into it. And that's why I like these online business models. I mean, you guys know it takes the same effort to produce a podcast that 10 people listen to or 10,000 people listen to. Yeah, so- we, we can, yeah, we use that analogy all the time, Nick, because it's, uh, you know, for us is we would rather have a really great conversation with somebody like yourself and kind of have this all the work and all the organization and you know the to kind of get this really well done it's like your thanksgiving dinner and then i want to be able to kind of have leftovers from this over the next uh you know four or five days so it's not just one meal it's over and done it was a really great meal but then it's it but to say hey i was able to we're able to take our show today and we're able to you know carve it up a little bit and then have it be on social media and here's Here's things that kind of came out of it. So there's, there's kind of that part of it too, is we can find more ways to deliver our content to our audience and, and connect with them where maybe they don't have time to listen to us for 45 minutes or an hour, but they do have time to listen to us for two minutes on something, on yeah. a conversation about side hustle. So that sort of thing, I think is, is kind of just different ways to think about it. And, and Nick, I want to ask the question of you too, is look, side hustles and, and especially things I know in our intro when I said the uh, equating Curtis as the Uber to my Lyft there of like, these things just weren't there, right? Like, you know, 10 years ago, especially to the level that they are today and that the people can just kind of sign up on an app and all of a sudden they just can start driving people around and just in its exchange of time of driving somebody around with their car for some money is like a pretty new thing. And and I, I guess what what I'm asking here is obviously we said side hustles are growing and they're building over time. What do you think the future is here, right? Because I could see that we're after this pandemic, we just have become more virtual, more internet connected, and it feels like there's this kind of a, a building trend. Where do you say ten years down the road? And what you see is happening in side hustles and how people are, maybe it's not just the pure 40 hour week job and the career thing. What, how does this kind of evolve and adapt over time? It's interesting. So pre pandemic, I would have told you, Oh, there's this really exciting shift from ownership to access. I don't need to, I don't need the car. I can just push a button and one shows up. And it's like, that was like the big trend, you know, now a couple of years deep into it, two and a half years deep into it. I I don't know. It feels like it's almost shifted. Like, oh, you know, especially yeah. early, early, you know, March 20. Oh, I'll get a car with a stranger right now. Exactly. Um, no. So there's this shift. But on the on the labor front, it was, you know, all of the signs were pointing to, hey, we're heading toward a freelance economy. You know, half of the workers are going to be freelancers in some capacity. But it seems like, you know, with unemployment as low as it is, people are really trying to grab talent whatever way that they can. And so 
there's maybe there's a flexibility from the side of the employers where they're like, Hey, everybody come back to the office. And all the workers are like, I'm, I'm good. Maybe maybe a couple days a week, you know? And so it's like trying to accommodate that newfound flexibility and maybe people are piecing it together, piecing their income together from a handful of different clients. And we've seen that maybe is one mindset shift from a lot of, you know, mid career side hustlers is, you know, adopting the mentality that, okay, I'm already an entrepreneur. My day job just happens to be my biggest client. Like, okay, you know, they, you know, I'm, I have this responsibility to them, but they don't control the other 16 hours of my day. So let me go out and see what other options are out there. So, so Nick, I guess what I hear you saying is that, you know, especially what we've experienced from a career path where it's like you have a full-time vocation profession all the way to a certain date. And then it's maybe again, trading the, uh, the binge of career for the binge of vacation is that maybe what there's, there's kind of a, a, a evolution of that of because businesses have to be more adaptable and open to more arrangements is that they, they tend to evolve over time and then people can call their own shots, maybe a little bit more of, you know, I'm, I'm working two or three days a week, but then those other two days, the fun stuff I want to do, I can kind of see if I can make money in a different way. And maybe that be, could be the seed or the evolution personally for people that want to continue that in retirement. And then they, they maybe take away the parachute they have from their career. And as it's established, and maybe there's more of that growth is, I guess, what I hear you say. Yeah, I think so. And we see a lot of people kind of you know, slowly backing into retirement and well, I'm going to go to four days a week. I'm going to go, mm-hmm. I'm going to go half time. And it's kind of like slowly scaling it back because, you know, in, at least in the U S like, okay, I want to be able to keep benefits as long yeah. as I can. Like yeah. I could ride that out. That's like a legit concern and, and a non-zero cost as you're uh, attempting to go freelance. But we see kind of that, you know, you know, sliding, sliding out the door versus, you know, the one, you know, drop the mic. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. <and I'm> out. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, so I, we have kind of one concluding wrap up question for you, Nick. Um, obviously the name of our show is retirement success, right? This whole, our whole purpose on this show is helping people find their retirement success and be successful in retirement. So I want to ask you what, or how will you define a successful retirement for yourself? Yeah, that's, um, a good question. It's something I've kind of been <laughs> pondering a little bit lately. We always got 500. We did 500 episodes. Like, are there another 500 episodes in the tank here? I, you know, yeah. what do you just keep doing this? Like, at what point do you say, uh, I'm, I'm good? And, right. and when that time comes, well, how do you feel? How do you fill your time? And you got to mm-hmm. have something. I believe you got to have something that you're working on that you feel some sense of progress toward. And for some people, that's golf. And for some people, that's pickleball. For some people, that's health and fitness. For some people, that's online business. Yeah. And so trying to fill your days with the, you know, work and relationships that really, that really light you up. I think that's retirement success for me. Awesome. That's great. Well, Nick, we really uh, value and appreciate your expertise and lending it to our show today. And, and um, again, we, we, we know there's a lot of really great blogs and you reference a bunch of them. And also you have some really great books, especially that are Amazon. We want to link to it. So for those that are listening, we want to make sure we're, we're kind of also able to check out your podcast as well. Yeah. The side, Ho- side hustle show podcast. We'll give links to that there too, so people can check that out. But thank you so much for coming on, sharing some of the lessons that uh, we know our audience will, will really appreciate. You bet. Thanks for having me. Right, take care. 
So finding a side hustle in retirement with Nick Loper. Again, I know obviously going through, there's so much that uh, Nick has expertise on. Again, he's got a podcast with 500 interviews of entrepreneurs of lessons and things that they've gone through to kind of build their businesses. Mm -hmm. I I know Nick is, um, you know, himself having a lot of expertise around building a web presence, right? So that's what he's really focused on himself is kind of building that. But I I thought kind of interesting to hear all the latter kind of points of... And and I, I know obviously from the group that we're, we're we're obviously if you're out there listening that you know it might be that it's just an ex- simple exchange of some get paid some money to give up a little bit of time yep. you know and if I want to quit it after you know a month cool move yeah. on yeah uh, but yeah I've, I think it's just helpful to paint the whole spectrum of all the possibilities and we have people out there that are pretty entrepreneurial and brilliant. Yeah people and yeah. might be might be something you're interested in. so again good uh, i think nick did a great job kind of going through it all there so, so curtis what's the website people can go to if they want to find a little bit more about our um about our show here today yeah so um obviously we're episode uh, 72 today so it's 72. gonna be blog.guidancepointllc.com backslash 72 can't believe we're already at RMD age here. Um, yep. But again, so obviously there we'll have a link to the video of today's show. We'll have a transcript there. Um, we'll have links to all Nick's books, his podcasts. And I think he was going to share a couple of his blogs with us. So yeah, we'll, again, I'll have kind of the wrap up of the show and, and really how to get in touch and follow Nick. Because obviously, as we said, he's built a great online presence that I think everyone can benefit from kind of outside of this show. So that's mm-hmm. that's where you'll go to find it. So, and finally, we, we want to thank you for listening to us and spending time with us today. Again, I know that's a, been a lot of questions where, again, as financial advisors and helping people with their investments mm-hmm. is sometimes these sorts of uh, when results are less than you maybe expected in a certain given year, period yeah. of time. Yeah these questions come up about, well, maybe there's something I can do to help make a little bit more money. So thank you for listening to our show today. Hopefully you got something out of it and, and learned a little bit about, um, and got you, uh, maybe thinking about, uh, the possibility of side hustle for yourself, but really appreciate your time. Hope to catch up with you next time and take care. Ladies and gentlemen, you've just listened to an information filled episode of the retirement success in Maine podcast. While this show is about finding more ways to improve your retirement happiness, Guidance Point Advisors' mission is to help our clients create a fulfilling retirement. We do financial planning so that people can enjoy retirement and align their monetary resources to their goals. If you're wondering about your own personal success, we invite you to reach out to us to schedule a 45-minute listening session. Our advisors will have a conversation with you about your goals, your frustrations, and your problems. Make sure you check out Guidance Point Advisors on our blog, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And you can always check out more episodes of this podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And of course, keep on finding your retirement success.